In this week's update, markets smacked by a major left-field event and strong jobs report. Perspective on the lithium market and gold rises on the weaker dollar and economic turmoil. My name's Gary Davis. As always, this is General Advice, and please remember to like and subscribe to the video. All right, a pretty interesting week, uh, very disrupted towards the end. Um, so let's have a look at what happened. Uh, the rally that we saw in, in January that uh, definitely faded uh, in February as the market got ahead of itself um, has really been killed by stronger than expected economic data, which came through on um, on Friday night. And I think it's pretty obvious now when we look back over the last two and a half months that, um, you know, too many market participants just tried to outthink the Fed. They were fixated on the, the fact that the Fed would have to change direction, that inflation had peaked and the market was trying to price that in. And it's tried to price it in just, just a little bit too early. Uh, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. <coughs> Big pun. The, um, the jobs report came out at 311,000 uh, new jobs created, which was much stronger. It was about 50% stronger than expected. And so that gives the Fed plenty of ammunition to keep their foot down and to take rates higher for longer than what the market was, um, was betting on. So, you know, once again, the old adage of don't fight the Fed um, comes to mind. The market tried to out, outthink them and, uh, and the Fed wins in the end again. So that was, uh, that was Friday. But uh, prior to that, there was um, a, um, a significant event with um, SVP, SVB Financial, which is the, the parent company of uh, the Silicon Valley Bank, which has effectively collapsed. And um, whilst I um, expect that not many people have ever heard of it, uh, it's the 16th biggest financial institution in America. And um, if this indeed does end up a, a failure, it will be the second biggest failure in US corporate history. So this is a pretty big deal. Um, you know, you don't want to underestimate the potential ramifications. And the problem when a bank fails is you don't know who else is, um, is going to be caught up in all that action. And so naturally, the headlines have all come out, all the headline seekers are uh, jumping on their uh, soapboxes and screaming that will it bring down the financial system. And, you know, that happens every time and you don't want to buy into that argument. So the answer is, well, we can't possibly know whether it will sig significantly impact the financial system or not. There's no one on the planet can possibly know because the, the financial systems are so such a complex web of um, you know of uh, interconnected um, liabilities that um, you never know how this is going to play out. But money flows will tell us if you just look at what uh, where the money is going and and what um, what the smarter people are, are doing with their money. Then generally that's a pretty good indicator. To my mind, letting yourself get into this mindset of you know what if this is a major financial crisis and what if it affects the housing market and you know what if this and what if that if you, if you go into that mode it's worse than a waste of time because what it does it completely messes up your mind and really prevents you from thinking clearly and seeing clearly what what the market is doing so you just want to shut all that out it's just what i call white noise it's not relevant there's just a few simple things that you can do we this is an unknown so let's just focus on controlling what we can control so work your plan. If you don't have a plan, then you shouldn't be in the stock market. That's pretty um, pretty blunt and pretty simple, particularly in these sort of volatile markets. 
you've just got to have a very clear idea of, of what you're trying to do and, and how you're going to go about it. I've been advocating um, an approach for a long time where you actually compartmentalise your portfolio. Some, some of your um, holdings are going to be long-term and therefore unaffected by events like this. Um, other parts of your portfolio might be trading portions and uh, each one of those is, is going to have a process and a, and, a, and a risk management strategy or should have. And again, if it doesn't, you better get one pretty quickly because these sort of markets can really uh, disrupt your thinking unless you're very clear about what you're doing with each transaction within your portfolio. So they're the, they're the must-dos. American stocks, uh, we'll just have a quick look at this slide and then go and look at some charts. Uh, the S&P ended up being down 4.5% for the week. That's a pretty major week. All sectors were down. But what I did notice, and, and you'll see in the charts, is that there is no obvious flight to defensives. Um, I found that rather surprising when I saw the, you know, the end result uh, on Saturday morning that I expected there to be a significant shift back to the defensive sectors. And there was a little bit on Friday, but you know, it wasn't the, the huge turnaround, the flight to safety that you would normally expect. Um, so at the moment, the charts are telling me that, that the market is, you know, it's had its knee-jerk reaction. Um, we might get some follow-through. No one knows. But again, just come back to, you know, what, what does your plan dictate that you should be doing? US dollar index um, was pretty much steady. It, it was fairly volatile. We had some strength in the US dollar and then we had some weakness at the end, which in itself is really strange. You know, with the, with the jobs report and the Fed uh, making the statements that they're making, you would have expected the 10-year yield to be up above 4%, but in, but in fact, it went down. So I have no explanation for that one. Frankly, I won't even try. Uh, the VIX, sorry, that should be the VIX was up to uh, almost 25. Uh, and the 10-year, two-year spread um, inched a little bit more negative. Um, 0.9, and uh, as I covered last week, these are uh, these are long-term um, extremes in the market. All right, let's look at some uh, key relevant charts. This is XLF, so this is the overall financial sector in America, and you can see what I mean here. Yes, Thursday was nasty. You know, big range candle, close near its lows, quite elevated volume, and there was real even bigger volume on Friday. And we were trading down quite negatively, but this is a fairly indecisive candle. You know, this is telling you that buyers came in towards the end. Now, that is not what you'd expect if the significant players are expecting, um, you know, an impending crisis. You just would not see a candle like that, or the, the probability is that you're not going to see a candle like that. You know, there are no guarantees. But looking at that, and then let's look at Specifically, this is the regional banking ETF, which is um, more reflective of what happened in the, the smaller to mid um, banking um, sector. Look at this candle. And it's complete indecision. Yes, a huge gap down and traded very negatively. So partway through the session on Friday, this looked very, very ugly. But the buyers stepped in. So, you know, that does not look like disaster territory for me with everybody fleeing the system and going to defensives. 
let's look at some of the key spreads. This is, um, well, first of all, I'll just look at the S&P. So that's what the S&P did. So we've now headed, so we broke out above this downtrending um, channel. So we had this, this very clear downtrending channel. We then established an uptrending channel and broke above this and broke above it for quite some time. And I think a few weeks ago, I mentioned the fact that um, uh, whenever the whenever the S&P um, after a bear market can sustain itself above the 200 day moving average for more than about, I think it's five days, then the probability of being into a new bull market is exceedingly high. It's not guaranteed, but it's exceedingly high. Now, as you can see, this was above the red line, the 200 day moving average for a long period of time. But Thursday and Friday brought it back down under that. So, you know, we really need to see what the follow through uh, is on that. You can always forgive the market a little bit of an overrun on some of these levels. So let's look at the spreads. This is the NASDAQ 100 versus the S&P. You know, not a disaster in terms of flight to defensives. Um, in fact, you know, the NASDAQ really uh, slightly outperformed the S&P in the latter half of the week. Really important for the sustaining of a bull market. This is the semiconductors versus the S&P. Yes, yeah, slight turn down on a relative basis on Friday, but on, honestly, Saturday morning, I expected to see this down here somewhere. So I was quite surprised. So this, this is much better um, than what I would have expected. The Russell 1000 growth versus 1000 value. Again, almost, almost no response from the market on Thursday and Friday in terms of shifting the money flows. You know, yes, everything was sold down, but on a relative basis, you know, people weren't, weren't deserting the ship. Now, the only real change here, so this is over the last quarter, this is the aggressive sectors, communications, technology, energy, consumer discretionary, materials, and then here's finance. And then at the bottom, over the last quarter, we've got um, staples and healthcare. Now, the only real change in this one was XLF, which fell from you know, probably being second or third or fourth in line, and it, and it fell down to be uh, a couple of places even lower, which is what you'd expect. Um, but nothing dramatic there. Um, and this is, uh, this is large cap growth versus large cap value <clears throat> on a weekly chart. Again, it just continues to, to look more positive than negative to me. So the money flows are just not screaming that this is a major turning point in the market. Now that could change, but at the moment it's not. And if you start making decisions on the basis that it might, then you're completely on the wrong track because then you're just jumping at shadows. So have a plan, work your plan, manage your risk, and that's really all you've got to do. This is the, um, the US dollar index on a weekly chart. Um, so you can see we we had quite a uh, quite a decent journey during the week from almost 106 to a low of 104, so nearly 2% move, which is a fairly decent move in currency terms, um, but ended up going nowhere. And the impact on the Australian dollar, well, because commodity prices are um, are under a bit of pressure, then the Australian dollar actually sold off on Friday night, uh, as well as the US dollar. So uh, that was an interesting, interesting move. So one would expect that our um, resources sector is probably going to continue to be under a little bit of pressure on, on Monday.
All right, turning to the Australian market, um, 65.02 is where we finished. Our market lost, uh, the index lost 1.9% across the week. Um, I would expect that we'll open down on Monday. Um, not sure where we might go from there. My gut feeling is, for what it's worth, and it's you know probably not gut feelings are never worth a great deal, but um, I wouldn't be surprised after the selling that we saw last week that we get a gap down open on Monday, and that could well prove to be the low price of the day. Wouldn't be surprised to see a panic sell-off in the first 30 minutes or so, and then uh, then a recovery. Um, so if you are looking to liquidate positions, I wouldn't necessarily accept um, as you know a, a really bad price on the open, because you may do a little bit better during the day. So materials and energy, they were down uh, pretty sharply. So let's go and take a look at the Australian market. So there's, uh, there's materials. Well, first of all, we'll look at the ASX 200. So pretty dramatic day, as you can see, on Friday. And uh, we're now rapidly heading back towards the 200-day uh, the moving average. So that'll be, you know, be pretty key what this does on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, materials sold heavily on Friday. And um, yeah, I think it'll be very, um, very instructive to see what they do on, on Monday morning. Um, healthcare didn't do too badly on Friday. Uh, financials, they took a hit and I would expect they'll take a further hit on uh, on Monday. Energy, uh, but a part of this was um, Woodside going ex-dividend by a pretty sizable dividend. So that was uh, some of the impact in the energy sector. And this one's interesting. This is um, this is XEC, which is the benchmark for Australia's microcap companies. Um, so their companies rank between 350 and 600 by market cap. Not too bad. Market wasn't panicking too much with that part of the market. All right, turning to, well, let's have a quick look at Bitcoin. Haven't looked at Bitcoin for a while. So Bitcoin started to come off fairly heavily on um, Thursday in particular and finished uh, back down at 20,000. This is uh, gold on a weekly. So gold did kick up and finish the week quite strongly. So this 1800 level held. Um, if we look at this on a uh, on a daily, so at the moment you you can only look at that and say, well, we've got higher highs. Let me just draw that in so that it's clear. So we've got higher highs, and we've now probably got a higher low. I think that's probably enough confirmation now. Um, so you've really got to say that the odds are that the gold market is in big picture uh, uptrend. And that's the response that we got to um, to what happened in the US on Thursday and Friday. So pretty positive. If we look at uh, the, the gold stocks, this is GDXJ, not very much happening. But I, you'd have to say there was a bit of a bit of a panic going on in the market on Friday. And so that probably held gold stocks back uh, a bit as well. But I think with the US market, the sectors that are being well supported, um, I think any any weakness that we see in coming days or weeks is just moving towards a good buying opportunity. I really don't see that anything much has changed for those parts of the market. I'm not talking about the index, I'm just talking about selected parts of the market. 
All right, gold ended up higher by $12.1869. Central banks are buying at record levels, uh, especially out of China. China clearly has a long, long long-term plan to try and supplant the US dollar as the world's reserve currency. And to do that, they've got to hold far higher reserves of gold than they currently do. So I think that's going to be an ongoing theme for some time. Um, The central bank holdings are the highest in 50 years. Now, there's an awful lot of geopolitical things happening at the moment. This is not just about, you know, central banks thinking gold's a great place to be. Um, You know, this is a a net balance between a a lot of things that they're trying to juggle. Um, You know, the way that America has been, um, you know, functioning in terms of sanctions is um, is perhaps causing a lot of central banks to want to be holding some of their assets in alternative areas. Um, so it's probably not surprising that we're seeing that. Um, the Australian dollar gold price shot up nearly $100 um, from last week, 28.73. So we saw gold stocks do reasonably well on Thursday and Friday on a relative basis. Um, quite a few actually went up. So I think we'll probably see some more of that um, in the the week coming. If we look at uh, precious metal stocks, it was a pretty small response, but, you know, sentiment was weak in the US on Friday, so perhaps no real real surprise there. Now, this is the, just a quick graphic on the the gold market. This is central banks' quarterly net purchases, so the net of buying and selling, and you can see the last two quarters over here, a huge, huge increase in the amount of gold uh, being purchased on a net basis by central banks. And then this one down here is central bank gold purchases as a percentage of total global demand. And this is courtesy of um, Bloomberg and uh, and Sprott. Um, And you can see corresponding with that, with these big purchases, the the percentage um, as as the global total has, has shot up quite a lot. So you can see central banks certainly getting into the gold market All right, turning to other commodities, copper uh, slipped a little bit, only about five cents, um, and nickel uh, is off uh, down to 10.22, so it's come off quite a way. Nickel is now down a bit more than 20% in this calendar year, um, and that corresponds to supply from Indonesia rising, so that might just hold nickel back to to a degree. Um, WTI crude uh, fell down to 76.7%. Um, but we did see a small rebound from 75. So that was uh, like like the stock indices. It, it did bounce a little bit off the lows on Friday. Uh, turning to, um, to lithium, um, lithium prices are still declining um, and people are still panicking about it and analysts are still downgrading lithium stocks. But it's a real head scratcher for me, as, as I'll show you. So lithium carbonate, in China has come down, uh, these are US dollars, has come down to about 58,000. It was up in the mid 70,000 area, so it's come off a bit. Lithium hydroxide, I think, got to about 80,000. We're down to 65. But those levels were always very unsustainable. Spodumene has come back now to, this is spot prices, to 53.50 a tonne. But if we look at Pilbara Mines, now, Pilbara Mines, according to their last report, the price, the average price they realised in the first half was 7447 and that's um, CIF in China. Um, it's, it's less than that 
um, from Port Hedland, but that's the China price, 7447. Um, but the key thing here is the cost of production. Again, on, a, on the landed in China basis, 11.36. So you can see the massive price, mar uh, price margin or profit margin, I should say, um, that they're, they're getting. So if the spodumene price has come off from uh, you know, a peak of 7.5 and, and it's down to 5.5, they're still outrageously profitable. So they've gone from you know, just incredibly profitable to now just eye-wateringly profitable. And, and they're not expensive. So why the stocks are being sold off is just, it's just an irrational um, overreaction in the market, in my view. And so I think the, um, you know, and, and I'm not saying that the prices of lithium stocks can't go lower because they obviously can. But whatever they do, we're now in, we're now in long-term buying opportunity territory. Might get cheaper, might get better, but, um, you know, the, this is still an enormously profitable part of the market. There's the spot copper chart. You can see not much change <coughs> in copper, <coughs> but nickel certainly did um, did come down. Wrapping it up, in my opinion, and I've been doing this for many decades, the only way to invest is as follows. And, and this is just really a recap of what I've been saying week after week for years and years. Follow the money flows. You know, don't get sucked into that what if game. You know, what if this disaster unfolds? You know, that's what the media want you to buy into. Um, you just focus on risk, focus on probabilities. If you do those two things well, you do highly probable things and you worry about risk before you worry about profit, then generally the profits take care of themselves. You know, that's been my experience. We control what we can control and just let the other stuff, the things that we can't know, the things that we can't control, just leave them be. Just con focus on controlling what you can. And the reality in the market is that we can control most things. We can control what we buy. We can control how we buy it, what price we pay, how much exposure we take, how we take our profits, um, how open-minded we are. The vast majority of actions that you've got to undertake in the market are within our control. So just do that. Always consider the opposite case. Um, you know, once a week I sit down and I look at things from the reverse, take off my you know, typically bullish hat and put on a bearish hat and see what I can see, because quite often you, you might see things that you're missing. And above all, just, you know, be very humble and open-minded and prepared to shift your position, because the money flows do move back, backwards and forwards. But you've just got to be clear about what is, what is a long-term trend and what is just short-term white noise doesn't really change things. And I think we're still in that, in that situation at the moment. And the charts that I've gone through today, I would suggest you know, validates that, the, the finish that we saw on Friday, the lack of uh, flight to safety, flight to defensives, tells you something about the mindset of the market. Portfolio analysts last week, we looked at the, the lithium market in, in perspective, so in more detail than what I talked about before, and also um, more on, on technical analysis. And the better your technical analysis skills, the, um, you know, the better off you're going to be. And there's, there's a huge amount of that as an educational function within Portfolio Analyst. That's it for this week. Um, there's my email address and uh, more information on the website. I'm sure it'll be a very, very exciting week and I'll be back with you next Sunday. Cheers. It is quite easy to lose money in the stock market without well thought out, sensible rules applied consistently. Any advice in this video is general advice only. Neither your personal objectives, financial situation or needs have been taken into consideration.
Accordingly, you should consider how appropriate the advice, if any, is to those objectives, financial situation and needs before acting on the advice. Gary Davis, AR317590, is an authorised representative of Primary Securities, AFSL 224107. Past performance should not be taken as an indicator of future returns. And a note to traders, the publishers of this material wish to disclose that they may hold this stock in their portfolios and that any decision to purchase this stock should be done so after the purchaser has made their own inquiries as to the validity of any information in this material.